Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Would Tramie be fighting it as hard if they were 15th in the league? Not for me, Clive. You know, you've got Sunderland, Portsmouth and Ipswich in our league now, in League One. They're massive clubs. Not for me, Clive. Because it will come back around, there will be something that will benefit other people as well. Not for me, Clive. Hello and welcome to Man Marking. Welcome to another episode of Not For Me Clive. As usual, I'm joined by Anthony Olsen, Ryan Pulford. Fellas, how are we, Ant? How, how are, are doing, you, mate? I'm good, mate. Yeah, good. Um, obviously, recording this in the morning, so, you know, I had a nice early start, awake, a nice cup of tea. Yeah, raring to go. Superb, mate. Great to hear. Great to hear. I, uh, when, I when I came round to your house uh, yesterday, it only sat in the car, of course, Um I uh, dropping off a Christmas hat for you to see. Uh, saw, saw the saw the big fella. He was in great spirits. He was, yeah. He's been in good spirits all week. He's, uh, yeah, he's he's doing well. He's excited for the Christmas period. Yeah, we don't keep, we all? Uh, I get to threaten him with um, with. Oh, you're going to be on the naughty list now. Stuff like that. So it's great. It works. It works a treat. Has he not seen that that Tesco advert where they're telling everyone there's nobody on the naughty list? Make sure uh, you keep him center him from that. I just turn it off. Oh yeah, it's sensible that, sensible <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, how about yourself, mate? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. I've got a really blocked ear, um, which is causing me some aggro, and that's the only thing I can think of to report on. But apart from that, I'm not letting it keep me down. Doing all right. That's what we want to hear, mate. Fighting fit, sort exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. Um, ish. Yeah. Itch. Um, so this week is the Rainbow Laces campaign, which was originally started in 2013 by. The charity Stonewall, which I'm sure you've all heard of, um, the campaign, the campaign, as as we all know, has been well adopted by the Premier League and and, and other football organisations as well, and it aims to continue the fight against homophobia within football. And I think the kind of the sort of visual aspect of the rainbow laces, the rainbow flags, and stuff around the stadium is is a really great kind of way of keeping that that message alive. So, with that in mind, today's question is. Is football becoming a more LGBT plus friendly environment? So that's what we're going to be discussing today in our Not For Me Clive episode. And we were ably assisted in putting together this episode by John Holmes. Uh, John is a senior editor at Sky Sports and he also runs sports media LGBT. So thank you very much to John for your help and your assistance with putting this episode together. As we all know, the, the, the current acronym for... The LGBT community is LGBTQIA+. But for the purposes of this episode, because it's quite a long acronym, we're just going to stick to LGBT+, um, for myself and for the lads. So, lads, the first question I'm going to be asking you is, is football becoming a more LGBT-friendly environment? And why is that important? And before we let you answer, we're going to go to John Holmes for his answers to the same questions. For a long time, I felt there isn't yet that sense of an LGBTQ and allies community throughout the game. I think there have been pockets of this, such as individual fan groups and a few women players who are out and they're supported by their teammates. But now it feels like we're much better connected than we were before, whether that's administrators, officials, inclusion groups like Kick It Out and the media. There's a much better, healthier dialogue and there's more collaboration across the game. That's what's really making it feel friendlier, that we recognise the problems that still exist, 
but it's easier now to reach out and connect with someone who you can relate to or who you identify with. Why is that important? The pandemic's meant that we've all felt a bit isolated at times this year. We've been locked down physically and in some cases we felt a bit locked down mentally as well. But for a lot of LGBTQ plus people, social distancing was a thing long before coronavirus. For some, it came from a sense of uncertainty or maybe just a lack of confidence. Football and sport is one of the most unifying pursuits that we have. So it's really natural that friendships and bonds form through it. We feel we need to interact to stay happy. So that's hugely important to have a game and a passion that we all love that helps to bring us together. Lads. Is football becoming a more LGBT-friendly environment and why is that important? Ryan, I'm going to come to you first. Do you feel as though it's it's becoming a more welcoming, a more friendly environment for people of that community? I like to say it is, but I, I do think it's quite hard to answer because my experience of football, while it feels like heavy consumption for me, is still a relatively small sample size when compared to how other people enjoy it across the pyramid. Um the reason I like to say it's becoming a lot more LGBT plus friendly is I think because society is, and we've, we've said this many times before in the podcast, that sport can often be a reflection of society. And I think sport tends to follow maybe a little bit slower, uh, but it does tend to follow in most cases. And from my own experience, I have seen a lot more groups. So at my, my own club, we've got um, Road for and Out, um, and I've seen a few more now across sort of social media and within other clubs where, which are supporting these initiatives. And to be honest, it only feels like I've been seeing these the last sort of three, four years, which tells me there has been a move towards sort of helping with inclusion, um, which I think is, is only a positive. And I think that was sort of, a, you said earlier, is it a good thing? And I, I, I really do think it is. I think for years, people have tried to make a claim to football. Who does it belong to? And I think that idea has always started with, well, it's British, we own it. And following that closely linked to, well, it belongs to men and it's a manly sport and only men go to the games and only straight men enjoy football and play football. And I, I think that has sort of insidious ramifications if you think that way. I don't think football belongs to anyone. It's a fantastic sport and the beauty of football is anyone can play it, whether it's in a street, a park, amateur, professionally. There's disabled football, walking football, uh, women's football is getting much bigger. And I think the fact the more we come to terms with it, that anybody can enjoy football, the better football will become. Uh, but I do still think we have some historic viewpoints that have, that have stayed within the games, within the grounds, uh, within the discussion points. But if you watch Sky Sports News now, if you watch any of the main media outlets, if you go to the matches, I do think it's starting to become a lot more diverse. I just couldn't possibly tell you if it's happening quick enough. Why do you think it's important that we make football a, a more LGBT plus friendly environment? And I suppose that extends to, to everybody, as Ryan has said, making it accessible for everyone. Why is that important? It just becomes more inclusive of everyone, doesn't it? I think the more inclusive you are of of different, you know, sections of society, I think you, you grow the sport in such a such a better, cleaner way. I don't think you get these negative, um, you know, tropes like attributed to it all the time. You know, for instance, you think of England fans and you just think of fighting abroad. You, if you you know you you've got these pre-made you know, stereotypes of, of what football fans are. And I think these voices now and, and you know, even what we're doing, which is is trying to say, look, it's not all about being manly. And I think you know, just breaking it down, and I'm not saying you can't be manly 
or, or you know, stereotypically manly all the time. But if you break those down, it just becomes a less, um, you know, I want to say violent place, aggressive place. It becomes that. So I think that is very important and it allows, you know, people to, to get involved, you know, young kids to be really want to see these young kids, you know, seeing these things and, and continue to, you know, go around that cycle and, and, you know, become what people were, you know, back in the eighties and the seventies. Do we really want to see that? Do we really want to see that in our game? I'm not really sure that there is part of me that, that likes the, the atmosphere and, and, and the, you know, the het up aggression of it. There is, of course there is, you know, the roar of a crowd, but I think it needs to change to a roar of a crowd in more of a positive way rather than a, a shared out aggression way. So I think that's why it's quite important. But I think when you when you're talking about, you know, the LGBT plus and you know, becoming more involved in, in football, I think it's a great thing. And I think they've got more of a voice now. I don't know how I wouldn't say it's a it's a it's the strongest voice because it's not it needs to get stronger and it, and I think it is. But they've got more of a voice now than they've ever had done before. I mean I even think 10, 15 years ago, I, I don't think there were, I could be wrong, but I don't think there were these, you know, groups supporting these types of supporters, you, you know, people who, who, you know, are involved in those communities. And I think that that is a good thing. And, you know, from my point of view, just just as a, as a, as a bit of fun, that, the names for these groups are absolutely amazing. Like, yeah, um, which, which is good. And do you know what? It adds a bit of color and it adds a bit of, it adds a difference to, to it as well. It adds a difference to football and it's like, well, yeah, these people should be allowed to, to, to have a voice in the game. What can we do as fans and what more can football do? And before we, we, uh, we let the, the chaps answer, I'm going to go over to John to, uh, to get his thoughts. I think it does confuse people quite a lot at times, but language and behaviour are so important when it comes to inclusion. We saw that with the Greg Clark comments. I mean, a person might think that they're being inclusive, but it's just the way they communicate and that others pick up on. It's not the internal monologue that that person's having that counts. I mean, could it be the case that you're joining in with what others think is just a funny, harmless chant? Or are you more mindful of the fan in front of you who's just not in on the joke? Is your mate's banter a bit too casual? Maybe it's just a bit too close to the bone and your other friend always seems to go quiet whenever he starts up. These are the ways that you can help. Just don't go with the flow. Look out for one another and really be aware of the culture that you're in and be prepared to challenge that if necessary. What more could football do as an industry to encourage better inclusivity? What really encourages LGBTQ plus people is meaningful action behind the message. It's not just sticking a rainbow on it. It's doing something tangible to go with that visibility. So in football, that could mean amplifying community voices, highlighting role models, giving to good causes, demonstrating your allyship through devoting time and energy in a different way. We see a lot at the top level that athlete activism that people like Megan Rapinoe and Lewis Hamilton and the WNBA players what they bring is huge, but lower down, not everybody is being heard. So if you really try and lift up those voices, that is a great way to make the game more inclusive. A survey that was done by Stonewall Scotland um, stated that of the people that were asked who had witnessed homophobic abuse at sporting venues, 82% of those people said that they'd witnessed it at football. 
And uh, another survey that Stonewall did said that 72% of football fans that they spoke to said that they'd encountered homophobic abuse at a football match. Now, they're obviously quite negative statistics and probably not enormously surprising. One thing that was quite interesting that came out of the same survey that was done by Stonewall was that the majority of people that they asked felt that homophobic abuse and homophobic language at football matches was a problem. So there is at least the desire to make that change. I think the, the, the difficulty comes in for people like us, and, and I'd say the three of us as match they go in, um, football fans, and, and you know, to caveat it all, match they go in straight football fans as well. So we, we I think the responsibility comes on all of us to do better with this type of thing. But the question often comes down to what can I do to help? What, you know, what can we do to make this a, a more welcoming environment? And one thing that, we, that we've discussed about a number of times on the podcast is about changing the language that we use and about being wary of the language that we use. And whilst things might not seem important to us, they may be important to other people. And John touched it on on his answer there as well. So, Ant, I'm going to come to, to you first, mate. In terms of language, when we're at the match, when we're at football, how important is it for us to to watch what we say and to, to, to be wary of what we say? And, and if somebody points something out as being, you know, that's not okay to say or that's offensive or I would reword that, how important is it for us for to self-reflect and maybe learn about how we talk about things? Um, yeah, self-reflect is, is a good angle, isn't it? Um, I think you'll know if you're saying something wrong. You always will. You're gonna, if you're going to stand up and shout something at, at someone, there's going to be 2,000 other people in that stand who are, who are going to listen to that. So you've got to be kind of comfortable uh, with what you're saying. You've got to be wary with what you're saying. I think, you know, when you make that point about being wary, um, so you will start off feeling a bit wary and then it'll just become more comfortable. You know, if, you, if you're making that change, you'll feel, you know, to, to be more... Um, to be better with your language that you're using. It will be where you will feel a little bit uncomfortable, but the more you do that, the more comfortable you'll, you'll become. And I think we had the conversation uh, a few months back in our WhatsApp group and it was around racism and it was around, you know, the, the odd little things that we say. And we've made a conscious effort. We've made a conscious effort to, to change those things to, you know, what might be considered just harmless fun. To say, well, actually... It's kind of not. And I think those two things are, are, are kind of linked, um, you know, because the language that I use is so, you know, when you get into those topics, it's so negative at times from from football fans. You know, they are linked. I, I, I'd say they are, you know, if you change one thing, you can change the other. So I think that's important. My, you know, football fans are probably going to listen to this and go, oh, well, I can't say anything. Well, you can. If someone falls over, it doesn't mean they're a girl. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that's like the, the, the least strong language that has been used. I've heard some, some dreadful stuff. Well, I suppose that's, the, that, that's, that's really important. As, as you say, I think homophobic and sexist language is very yeah, yeah. deeply ingrained in the vernacular that is used at, at football, isn't it? I think for, for football fans themselves, I think what most of them want to do is, is go to the game, watch the game and go home. I don't think they want to get involved in rows because I don't think there's the support there really, uh, you know, to, to go and challenge people. You know, we're looking at, you know, at our club, it's stewards who are volunteers really. I know they do get a bit of money, but they are kind of volunteer stewards. Do you have any faith in them to go and sort something like that out? 
personally I, i've watched them for years and I, I don't really have much faith in them at all every time there's a a warning about pitch invasion there's a pitch invasion that happens it doesn't it doesn't work so i think that's look if someone's doing it next year yeah call them out i think that's what we can do what i'd you know what's going to be a struggle for fans in in those situations is feeling comfortable enough to do it and i'm hoping that that's becoming better and better but i think if you look at it from the outside, if we start changing our language outside of football and, you know, in society itself, those things should, you know, happen less and less yeah. and less. And then it'll become more um, more outspoken. It won't become normal to, to go and say those things about players. So I think that's what we can do as fans is to, is to learn outside of football. And when we get into a football ground, carry on with that yeah. you know don't don't just throw it away don't just take what you've learned and go no nah, yeah I can throw it away down in a football ground you know let's yeah. learn things and keep holding them I think that's really interesting that you say that Ant. there was a, a story that um, I think it was from 2018 that two uh, Hearts fans were given indefinite bans by the club for racist abuse and it came on the back of other fans reporting them to to the, to the, to the staff to the stewards and then when they did an investigation they were they, they were indefinitely banned <laughs> And and I think, I mean, Dom, Dom Stevenson, actually going back to Dom, he mentioned it in his interview about he called somebody out for being racist at a game. And then when he he, he tweeted somebody about it and then he got a load of abuse being called a grass and, and all that type of thing. So I suppose, I mean, that kind of moves me nicely onto the, the next question that I actually had, which was about, if, I think there's this culture at football, unfortunately, that, you, you, you're, you're almost you're told by the club if you hear this abuse or you hear that then please report it but there is a culture of you shouldn't do that within some sets of supporters that you're being a grass almost and I think it's childlike and it's it's quite pathetic to be honest with you I suppose Ryan you, I mean you and I have been at a match where we've called somebody out for shouting racist abuse we, we didn't report it to anybody I mean that was probably just because we were at an away ground rather than a home ground but we did call it out with the individual and challenged him on it. Would you feel confident in that same situation doing that if it was homophobic abuse? Um, it's a very good question. Uh, and it's probably because I've never really thought about it deeply until now. Um, I'd like to say I would. Um, of course I would. I, I think any abuse at a football match isn't wanted. Uh, I kind of agree with... And sentiment that you can't remove all the aggression is going to be swear words. There's going to be times when you're frustrated. But the second it becomes personal, I think, is the second it, it goes over the line, whether that's on the sexuality, the race, the religion, whatever it may be, I think that's where you draw the line. If you just air frustration because the time wasted or frustration because they've just made the leg-breaking tackle, naturally you're going, to, you're going to react to that. But... I like to think any abuse that you'd report, and I think one way we can improve and how clubs can improve, uh, and touched on it a little bit, is you've got a steward there who works at the club maybe once every two weeks or once a week, who was basically a, a minimum wage employee that doesn't really have any connection to the club. So you don't really know what the viewpoints of those stewards are. They could be like, they could be a racist person, they could be a homophobic person. I think clubs should probably train the students to deal with these situations a bit better. And I can't imagine many clubs, apart from maybe the top ones, mainly because they're such part-time staff. I mean, I think Mark Palios mentioned the other day on BBC when we were on the FA Cup, 
we have 80 employees, but on a match day, we can have up to 400. Does he know those 320 members of his staff? Has he done background checks on them? What? I think if you're going to put people in positions to police thousands of people, they need to be of a certain standard. And that's not criticising any steward, by the way. That's for their own safety as well. They could, they could, could, Somebody could show something atrocious at a football match. Somebody else stands up and says, you can't say that. And it, when those scenarios occur, it always descends into chaos because it's always happening at heightened emotions. You always get the person who said it suddenly becomes defensive, reacts, doubles down on it, becomes aggressive, don't you tell me what to say. And before you know it, it can turn into it really can turn into a situation where I've seen punches thrown at games within the same supporters. Um, and I do think that if you're then going to put obviously, there's a, there are police officers and often not nearby. If you're going to put stewards in the middle of that, make sure that they've been trained, make sure they're aware of why it's important, make sure they're aware of what language to listen out for. They could be getting said and they're turning a blind eye because they don't think that saying these things are bad. So I think, I think that while... Ryan, sorry, just on that. So you'll obviously both remember an incident that we had recently at Tranmere. With we played Wickham at home, didn't we? And there was a there was there was some accusation of uh, homophobic abuse that was uh, for one of the fans that was in the cop. I think yeah. uh, I think at the end of it, it was it was concluded that they they they, they hadn't said it or it, it was I don't know what it was, but that that person didn't get a ban in the end. But I do remember on the back of that. There was a lot of fans and a lot of people that we know who were defending the word used because they were like, "Why? Why can't you say that?" You know what I mean? Yeah, I, think I found I found that whole. If the conversation had been he didn't say it, then that's entirely different. But the conversation was, even if he has said it, what's the problem? And that was that I found that really concerning. And that was from people who I'm friends with. That's from people who I would consider to be. Not to not to be idiots, not to be, you know, you know, ignorant, and that was just from your average match going fan, the average person down down at the match. I found that really concerning the amount of people who didn't understand why that was a problem. I'm sure for anyone who's listening, it it the it's the f word we, we'll we'll call it. I'm sure, you can work out what word that is. But there were a lot of people who defended the use of that word, despite the the kind of horrific connotations that come with it. I think, you know, when I was saying before, you know, we've got to learn outside of, of, of football grounds as well. And I think a lot of it, you know, there is a lot of information coming out now. There's a lot of different things about language. And, you know, for, for as far as I can remember, it's certainly heightened the analysis of language that is used in articles, in speech, in, in you know, in, in any kind of walk of life. You know, it's difficult to know what's offensive um, and what isn't but if we go and start learning about it we soon quickly realize what is so i think there are there are you know certain aspects where people didn't understand what what's offensive what isn't you know is there that case you know got a lot of different generations in there and a lot of different mixes of people you know there's something that you know and it all comes down to subjective opinions as well like something i find offensive someone else might not it it I think that's where the issue, particularly with fans, lies. And I think, you know, there needs to be a, I'd say more of a clampdown and more of a, look, this is wrong. This this isn't right. You know, these, you know, using this language isn't good. Like, it, it, it's it's offensive. It's 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 not nice at all. And, you know, I, I've, in the running order, it says win at all costs. And I think fans take that on board probably too much sometimes. 
you know, any little little things that you can get over players when the crowd goes silent. You know, I remember standing up and saying, when somebody shanked the ball out of play and saying, you've travelled seven hours on a coach for that. And now he, he has, because that hits, <laughs> that hits hard. Like, that hits hard, doesn't it? It doesn't, it, you know, he has, and he can hear me. He can hear me, you know, and that's quite, that's quite, you know, it's not offensive. It's just explaining the Don't fact cry. he's travelled. <laughs> it's just explaining the fact he's travelled seven hours to kick a ball out of play. Like, it, that's the more, like, ridiculously funny side of it. But then there's there's people well there's people and there's times where fans have have just said completely the wrong things you know very very loudly very very close to players and you don't realise how close you are to players sometimes as well so I, I do to, think to, to other fans as well yeah exactly it's about what other people around you can hear as well exactly and I do think that that the education part of it is is big because you know there's such a, an awakening of 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 languages and language used now we've we've got to be better you've got to take that on personally uh, and and be responsible for the for the stuff that you say yeah i agree i I think as well so doing some research for this episode um this is something that i I didn't actually know to be honest which i'm sure is amazing to both of you as i'm such a fountain of knowledge but um the the department for digital media culture and sport as part of some reforms and stuff that have come on the back of the coronavirus pandemic they were looking into homophobia in football. And I think that their statement was about that it's still still a big problem in football amongst amongst supporters. And a lot of that, I think, is probably because, as with so many of these things, we don't really want to talk about it because it's not that interesting for people because they want to see the actual football. But I do think it's really important to highlight about one of the, you know, you're talking there about the language that we use and about things that you shout at the match. What you don't know is there might be three rows behind you there might be someone who is part of the LGBT plus community who's come to the game for the first time for a long time, maybe because they've been put off going to football. They hear you shout something like that that's offensive to them or is insensitive or abusive. It might put people off going. And that's not what football is about. It's about being a place where everyone can go and where everyone can feel welcomed and where everyone can express themselves. And I think during the pandemic, one of the big things that we've seen is that having that taken away has been really damaging for people. So giving that back to people, giving that release to people is really important. But on the back of that, that the, the, the sort of work that the, the um, Department for Media and Culture and Sport have been doing, they've been looking at whether to make homophobic chants illegal under the Football Offences Act from 1991, which obviously covers things like racist chants as well. Now, I didn't know that that wasn't already illegal, which seems mad. I don't know if either of you two didn't know that was illegal either. Or it just not really thought about it because, to be honest with you, it not really occurred to me either. Um, yeah, that seems mad that that's not illegal, does it not? It sounds, it sounds really weird. You kind of almost feel like stuff that happens at the match would come under criminal law. You forget that there's an act within itself, um, which is kind of weird to think about. You kind of just think it'd be policed like it would in other aspects of society. But I suppose, yeah, that that is a bit bizarre. I remember being young. And the problem you have is fans will always take these things and, and use them as a weapon. They'll weaponize words and they'll weaponize situations. So every ground Brighton went to, they'd say, you're not gay, but your boyfriend is to them. Every time Tramiel or Liverpool Everton players feed the Scousers, people have used Bradford Fire, they've used the Munich disaster. Football fans will say horrible, horrible things. So I do think that I do think that you've got to put homophobic and homophobia in that same bracket, surely, because it's a hate crime, isn't it? In, in the same way it would be on the street. I don't get why 
you'd be immune to it in a football ground. It's it's people being homophobic. Why where you are shouldn't matter, in my opinion. I'm trying to think of of ones that I've heard, and there's one that sticks out. I'm not going to say it, but there is one that sticks out. Um, and it was it was about 10, 15 years ago. So it's a uh, RT2. I just remember another one. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's it's not acceptable, is it? Really, let's let's be honest. And you are right. It should be should be looked at higher because you know you're singling people out for you know being different. I've got air quotes around me. It's not an audio feature, um, and it's just it's just it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And yeah, I think you are right. It should be should be illegal. Certainly should be looked at. I mean, I I wouldn't. I don't think I'd ever dream of of making making up a song like that and going no yeah we need to go and sing this because it'll be like a lull like it's not it's not yeah. the, the saying is it's not big and it's not clever is it and mm. it's not do you know what I think, I think happens though I think sorry sorry Dan just really no, quickly no, if you look at homophobia racism whatever it may be at football grounds say you took every case of it which would be thousands across the country on a Saturday. I reckon 95% of it are ill-informed, flipping comments. And if the reaction to that is, I've just done that accidentally, I'm going to learn from that experience and hopefully never do it again. I think most people in those communities and most people in the grounds would say, as long as you understand why it's wrong, you're going to be careful to not do it again in the future. We're not going to want to go tell a police officer if the reaction is I've come with the intention to say this to you or I've come with this intention to damage you and I don't think it's a problem and that's the five percent then that's really worrying that's really concerning because a they're doing it intentionally and b they don't even realize why it's why it's bad and I think we have to differentiate the two because I think there are a group of people willing to educate themselves and there needs to be things in place so that they can do that. And then we need to target with some more stringent action. The ones who are weaponizing it and using it completely in a harmful and destructive way. I think I think educate yourself is something that's really, you know, pertinent for everybody. I think Ant, you used it at the beginning of the episode as well. I think yeah. if I think what what's 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 good for people to learn is is that if you say something and then you you are told that's not acceptable or you shouldn't say that or this is why you shouldn't say that or maybe think about this differently that's okay like that's fine we're all everyone's learning all the time the world is a rapidly changing place particularly with regards to things like language because we're, we're learning as a society all the time and probably faster than ever and it's okay to have got it wrong you just got to learn why you got it wrong and to not do it again and to be respectful of the fact that that might cause offence to people. Yeah, and again, most of that stuff, when people get get it wrong, you see it on the on the TV and stuff, and they're instantly gone. They're yeah. not even given a chance to go, oh, oh well, hang on, I've, I've got it completely wrong. They're just instantly gone, they're cancelled or whatever they, whatever they say. And it, it's, it's just... We saw it with Graham Souness recently, didn't we? With yeah, yeah. comments, and we saw it with Gordon Strachan as well, where he yeah. he, he said something a little bit. You know what I thought was funny on that because you brought up that Latin comment recently. And I don't want to go down a different route, but watching that Maradona documentary back when when I interviewed him, he actually said on the whole handball subject, it's a South American thing to do. We see it as like cunning. They win as a that's an exact quote, but he referenced himself as a South American that this is what we do, <laughs> which I thought was quite interesting because you people get offended 
who aren't the people who should be offended without asking them. Does this they offend get offended you? on their behalf, don't they? Yeah, exactly. and then it stops the, better, yeah. stops the conversation. I mean, get... we've we've just spoken about it off air there about songs from you know. There's a famous Christmas song, I and mean, we won't go into it. And there's other songs and stuff that are there's discussions about taking them off the air or censoring things and not playing them. And in some ways, you, you're going to have to with some stuff that's just downright offensive. But some stuff that's there, just removing it, that it doesn't allow people to learn about why that was being, why that was acceptable at that time, and why it's not acceptable now because of what we've learned and about the type of world we want to create. Ultimately, all of these conversations are about if you're somebody of um, a different ethnic origin, a different religion, of a different sexuality, of of whatever it might be, you should be allowed to go to any place in the world, any place you want to go and feel comfortable and not feel under threat or feel like you're going to be abused. And I think when it comes to football at the moment, there are certain people who don't who, 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 who don't feel comfortable in that environment for whatever reason. And we have seen... As as one of you mentioned at the very start of this episode, that there is a change in culture that that, that we've seen at football matches in that you know it's becoming more diverse. But we've got to continue to to think, okay, well if I say X, then what's that going to mean to somebody else? Because it's not it, it it might not mean anything to us, but it's not it's not about us. You know we're already comfortable here. You know we're, we're there's ninety percent of the crowd are people who look and sound like me, so. It's about educating ourselves and learning to talk better. One thing that I think's really interesting, which is which is kind of going to be my final point, which was about Greg Clark and his comments that he said recently. The thing that I took from that was there was two things. The first one was that you've got the guy who's in charge of the FA, who's basically the governing body of the entire sport for the entire country, who thinks that that type of language is acceptable. Is, is worrying, to say the least, for, a, for an internal matter. But one thing that I found quite heartening was that I think across the board, everybody that I saw, I don't think I saw anybody say that it was it was fine. I think pretty much everyone was like, no, nah, that's not on that, like, you can't say that. And I, I think that, combined with also the, the Sergio Aguero incident with uh, Sean Massey recently as well, we had two incidents where they were pretty much you know, across the board, everyone felt as though, you know, to lesser or or, or or greater degrees that they weren't acceptable. And and that's that's that I think I think that's 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 important to show the sea change amongst football fans. I thought well, I found that quite heartening. It's the same with the Sheffield Wednesday Preston one as well. I think the guy's mm. got planned for three games, hasn't he? So pretty much a red card. I just thought it was bizarre why you'd do that. Like in, in Which that I mean I mean having said, you know, you agree that it should be banned. Three matches for what is essentially sexual yeah, yeah. seems a no, bit lenient. No, no, well, it's, it's a start, isn't it? Yeah. I missed that. Story. Yeah. I don't know it, if I've been living under a rock, but if anyone wants to explain what happened. So basically, uh, there's a corner. And you remember that picture back in the day with Gaza, where he's... Uh, and Vinnie Jones. And Vinnie Jones, and, and he grabs his Oh, Fisher. Sorry, I thought we were talking about a fag. Yeah, I know. Uh, now, yeah, so. he grabs his balls, basically. And, and it, it happened in that corner there. And the, the guy who it happens to... It's, like, a, it's, it's Patterson, isn't it? Is it? He's, Carlos, he's, yeah. he's like, what on earth is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he just looks confused. Yeah. Can I um, ask you a quick question then, but it's just on this before we move on to Greg Clark, which just popped into my head. To say you were speeding, like you'd go on a speeders awareness course or you'd get banned for normally X amount of time with a fine. 
when when a football fan does something in the ground that may be deemed homophobic or racial or just uh, sort of abusive in general, they might get often lifetime bans. Now, just thinking on that now, we've had this conversation, that's not something I've ever thought on before. That doesn't really solve the problem. Would you prefer that person to have to go on maybe a course and then be reintroduced back into the match rather than just saying you're never allowed back in? Depends what it is they do, I suppose. Yeah, I think, yeah. Strictly language if we're talking offensive language. Um, Yeah. Look, it'd be great. It'd be absolutely great to, to see that implemented. How realistic it is, I'm not sure. Is it football's responsibility? They'd probably say as but well. That's what, that's what everyone's just going to fall well, back I'm just kind of thinking in the same way when you cancel someone and there's, there's no re-education going on there and then you're saying you at 25 cannot go to a football game when you're maybe a 50-year-old father of three who has completely yeah. different viewpoints. I don't. I feel like we hide from the situation in that scenario. We don't actually try and solve. We try and find a solution, but the question still exists and we're not all going, but this person said this thing that's wrong. Let's make him not think that way anymore. We just go, you think that way, so you're not allowed here. And I think, I think that, that, I think that helps. I th- well, I, I think that would be your idea there would be, be great. I just I worry how realistic it is. I, I think people should try, you know, clubs, well, what, what people in society should them, try that. What if you said to them, if you ever want to return to our ground again, you're going to be banned for two years anyway, flat out. After two years, we want evidence that you've been to one of these approved lists at your own cost, so it doesn't cost us anything. You then come to us and then you have to somehow prove that you've changed some form. Of, I don't know if it'd be an assessment or just prove a certificate. And then you'll be monitored maybe over over a certain time and then you'd be welcomed back in a bit like if you went to prison or you committed another crime you can be rehabilitated i do think if we want to see changes we need to give people the chance to change yeah i I think that's that's, that sounds like a sensible approach i I think i suppose then then moving back to greg clark what what we all sorry go on uh, sorry just when you said greg clark you know the michael is it michael spicer the the guy next to me next door like I, I genuinely think he would have just been sitting there crying when he was saying all this. And like, I, I'm never, you know what? You're flicking through your Twitter and you're going, "He said what?" And you're like, "Why? Why did that even enter your head?" And you're going, "Oh, he said more on it. Oh no, oh no." And we're laughing, but we're laughing at him. Like, what happened that day to go? I'm just going to say this today. I'm going to say absolutely baseless claims. But it's probably language that he uses all the time that he doesn't, he doesn't, which is, which is bizarre. So there was, there was someone I was listening to that was talking about how the the difficulty with it is, is like he was trying to be inclusive in some elements of what he was saying, but he just got it so far wider than Mark that it just demonstrated how out of touch he is, which goes back to that thing we were saying before about better representation in the boardroom. It comes down not just to clubs, but to the governing bodies as well to have better representation of different parts of society within there so that these mistakes don't happen. Whilst, as you say, we are laughing at him because it was completely ridiculous. We shouldn't have, in 2020, the guy who's in charge of the Football Association of one of the richest and most powerful organisations in terms of football in the world. The face of that organisation is the guy who holds these thoughts, or not even that he's homophobic or racist or sexist, that he thinks that that language is okay like that he doesn't understand, doesn't have any preconceptions about saying those words. It's mental. I think it was the defending of the the why Asians aren't involved in football more that got me. I, I just thought that was crazy. I think he said uh, yeah. they, 
yeah, you know, you know, you can see what he said. I, I just, yeah, the, the FA have been under scrutiny for a long time. There has been calls for you know better representation on that board for ages, and it is seen as a an old boys club. And you know, even in the the lead up to trying to get that uh, 2018 World Cup. You know, there was a lot of dodgy underhand dealings and, and they thought they'd come out on top and they didn't cheat best, so they didn't get it. So, you know, it's it's never been a, a an organisation that's been squeaky clean. It's always had vet and a lot of issues. And, you know, they're, they're quite silent for the most part. They, they are, you know, these big issues come up and, and they just don't say anything. And then they leave it to, to whoever's in charge of the actual men's football team to come out and 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 defend them, which is just wrong you know like it's there like it's a club you know like the manager has to say stuff and I think you know media outlets go into that too much or what does Southgate think of this well it's just rubbish I think I remember was it Jürgen Klopp earlier on this year someone started asking him about coronavirus he went look I'm not a scientist what do you want me to say like like go and ask them because and I I know there was certain people going well he's asked you a question you're getting paid loads of money by him but you know, there's just certain things that he can't answer, and Southgate and 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 that shouldn't be defending or having to be even in a position to defend these these just you know stupid comments, just downright idiotic comments, and you know it amazes me that if he's thought that way or has used language like that for for that for a period of time, why it's not happened before, why it takes a a public you know, display of this language for him to resign. Like, how does that? How, he shouldn't have been allowed to resign does... either. That was ridiculous. Yeah. As well. He should have. He, they should have made a statement, really, with that. Um, lads, I'm going to wrap us up there. Unless you've got anything. Unless Ryan, you've got anything else you want to say on that? Yeah, one? I was. I was just going to say really quickly on the Greg, uh, Greg Clark stuff. At first, I kind of had the approach of, oh, it's just sort of misled and outdated. I don't think it was malice. But then the more I thought about it, the, the sort of more annoyed with him I got that the fact that that's how he chose to spoke in front of Parliament. And what would he say in a more relaxed setting? And I think we're, also, we're always getting thrust on us fans that the FA and everybody wants to be... Um, do more, be, be 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 right by everybody, and it's always the fans' fault, and it's always the fans that fall fall short of this. And you kind of think you're the head of the FA, you 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 were the guys bang banging the drum, and you can't get it right yourself. Like it's your job to get it right. There is no excuses. There are nowhere to hide for someone in your position. We all know as ordinary people that we should be getting it right, and we're aware we're we're more aware than you are in your position of power. And I just think it's it, it's inexcusable, really, in the fact that he tried to hide behind the fact that he's worked in the US, and he thinks that makes it acceptable. It's just poor as well because it wasn't just the use of one word that he got wrong. There was full-on sentences categorising different genres of people that he just made horrific statements on. So, yeah, just want to say that if the FA want to take it seriously, then they have to look at themselves first before they look at others and make sure they get it right and they're squeaky clean yeah. and then maybe maybe the rest will fall in place. But it, but it does show that, that, and like you said before, that the reaction to it was this isn't acceptable from everyone. So that does kind of show that the, there is starting to be a sea change in Look, this isn't going to happen anymore. We're not, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to change it. And whether that started from, you know, these supporters groups getting together and and saying, look, we want to be heard, we want a voice, 
or you know it's been a media representation or or, or whether it comes from seeing more players being open and, and talking about things like whatever it is it's clearly having an effect if you can make the top guy in England in the FA go I need to go now and you know yeah he should have been sacked he should have been whatever but he's gone now so hopefully they take that on board and go right well the next person we put in that position is going to be you know in tune with society in tune with these fans of this game and and the people in this game right thank you very much for for your time today ryan and i think i think on on our behalf as as the man marking podcast i think one, one of the things that we always aim to do both with the the interviews that we do and also with these conversations is to try and have mature balanced conversations about these things and, and and try and look at what we can do to to help with with you know with, with certain issues within the game that we love um as as for everybody listening it's obviously been the rainbow laces campaign has been on this week we're coming to the end of it but go and check out some of the stuff that's being written as i said john holmes who runs sports media lgbt go and give him a, a follow on twitter there's there's loads for you to go and get involved with what they're doing um and there's also as both of the lads have mentioned an absolutely vast array of LGBT plus fan accounts for different clubs. And we follow quite a few of them on Twitter and we, we interact with a couple of them every now and again. What we'll do is we'll highlight some of those accounts um, on Twitter for you so you can see them. Go and give them a follow, just go and get involved. I think finding a different perspective on the way that people enjoy and also not enjoy the game is good for everybody's education. And the most important thing, which is what we always say with these things and what often happens when we talk about mental health campaigns about stuff around Black Lives Matter is the same with this. Don't just don't just acknowledge it for this week. Acknowledge it all year round. Challenge people on their language, challenge people on their behaviour and, and, and let's make sure that we're all doing better and that'll help the game improve and that'll help grow the game and make it a, a more enjoyable place for us to, to go to when we eventually are allowed back in stadiums. So thank you for listening. You can uh, find us on Twitter at marking underscore man. Don't forget to use the hashtag where's the talking lads at the moment. Every single day we are dropping advent calendar goals, goals, goals. So you can check that out on our Twitter. Our next episode, which is out on Monday is with Rodri Jones, the former Manchester United and Rotherham defender. So we will see you next time. And thank you for listening. (laughs) 